seller's market, most people are prepared to buy first, then sell later, hoping that the market is still rising and they can reduce the difference of what they owe for the original house to that of the new house. That's all well and good, but what happens when you can't get the settlement dates to coincide? You're going to need bridging finance, and we have just the right man to tell us all about it. You're listening to Real Estate Right. Top experts talk about how to buy, sell, rent, and invest right. Your host is Sue Langder. Real Estate Right is here for you. Yes, you. We give you all the information you need to make an informed decision when it comes to real estate, wherever you are on your real estate journey. We are here for buyers, sellers, renters, and investors, but also for real estate agents either new to the industry or those who want to scrub up on their knowledge. If you see value in our podcast, why not give us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts? We appreciate any feedback we get and we appreciate you. Evan Davis, founder and CEO of MoneyCat Finance, has over 16 years of experience in mortgage broking and multiple successes in the property development and investment space. Evan specializes in self-employed lending and has a passion for helping Australians realize the great Australian dream of home ownership. Welcome, Evan. How are you? G'day, so good to be back. It feels like we've only just done this uh, yesterday, but I love these podcasts and really enjoy the time with you. Thanks, Evan. Now, last episode with you, we back in episode 132, we talked about Stacey and Kobe buying their first home. Now, yes. Stacey and Kobe are now expecting baby number one and need wow. to move there from their apartment to a small home. They have found a home that needs some renovation, basically paint new floors, new deck, and give the kitchen a bit of a refurb. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't take more than a month, but they want to get the renovation done before they move in. Now, they will need some bridging finance to service the renovation as well as the purchase of the new home. Sure. But what is bridging finance? Well, bridging finance is uh, something that many people never have to grapple with and it's a slightly more complicated style of approval and loan. But basically, in the simplest terms, bridging finance allows you to buy your new home, your new property, before you've sold your old one. And it allows you to borrow, uh, depending on the lender, enough money to cover the entire purchase of the new asset and also the associated purchase costs and even in some cases the interest on the peak debt uh, so that you can actually buy the new property, then settle the new property and then in that instance renovate the new property, tidy it up and then move in all before you've even potentially listed the existing home for sale. So it allows you to carry for a period of time, six, nine, 12 months, depending on the lender. It allows you to carry for a period of time both properties so that you can simply bridge your way into the new joint or you can transition into the new property. So it's a, it's a tool to facilitate a, uh, a move generally to a more expensive asset, though not in all cases you can be downsizing or buying something cheaper as well. Yeah. Now, do you pay a higher interest rate when you organise bridging finance? Bridging finance is a tricky one. Uh, Lender by lender, loan by loan. Um, There are heaps of different quirks and features and uh, it's one to watch out for. You may not always qualify with each lender. More on that later. But in general terms, yes, you do. Um, In general terms, 
most lenders use it as an opportunity to make more money out of it. Industry yeah. secret, industry secret, the banks are bastards, they are a business, they do want to make money. And yes. uh, part of their profit, of course, is the interest you pay them for their funds. So quite often uh, you will pay generally the standard variable rate. So the standard variable rate is the top rate at the lender. And quite often you won't get a discount on that while you're in your bridging period. So what might be a very cheap 2% or 2.5%, you might find it's a bit dearer than that while you're bridging. So it's a good incentive to uh, not just sell your previous property, but settle it, get out of it. So the bridging period ends and then your bridging loan reverts to being a discount variable or you could convert it to a fixed rate if that's what you want. And that's when your rates more broadly in line with the market. So does that mean that all your mortgages will be on the new variable rate, not discounted, or your original purchase would be discounted and then the new purchase would be purely on the standard? It depends on the lender. Some lenders will refinance. If if the lender you're with doesn't offer bridging, then you've got to move your existing lending to a new lender and you've got to then borrow the bridging amount for the new property. So it's it's situation by situation, and it's also lender by lender. Some lenders will uh, charge the standard variable rate across the portfolio because that's the only way you might get approved to get the bridging in the first place. Some lenders will only charge the uh, the higher rate on the amount borrowed for the bridging, the purchase and the cost of the new property and potentially the interest too. But again, uh, this is where a broker is very useful to you because a broker has access to more than one lender and has the uh, the knowledge of uh, bank policy. Um, So some lenders are much cheaper to bridge with than others. One lender that is on our panel that makes a lot of noise about the success of their bridging policy and program is Adelaide Bank. Um, but uh, we found recently that the, uh, and again, this is a fluid space, it changes all the time, policy rates, features, uh, discounts are subject to change without warning on a daily basis, something I'm saying a lot these days. Though, yeah, it is, it is potentially going to be a more expensive period to borrow money, but it can also be a very beneficial product. It can actually make the transition a lot easier. You don't have to sell your place um get all the money from the settlement, then uh, move in with mum or dad's mum or dad into their garage for six months while you're renovating your home. So it's 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 considered as an opportunity cost to do more with less and to do more sooner so that you can get a better property for your family. Yeah. Yes, because you don't want to be in the garage pregnant and doing renovations. But, but, that's but definitely not. No. Yeah. Um, now, what do bank loans look at to approve your bridging finance so is it the standard stuff or obviously you're needing to spend double maybe triple the amount of money each month it's the cornerstone the cornerstone or foundation of a bridging loan is still fundamentally the same as getting a credit approval for a purchase or a refinance so with a bridging loan, the bank still will make a credit decision, meaning that they're going to review your income. They're going to review the value of your assets. They're going to want to see your cash position, your investment position. They're going to want to know about you. And if you're an older applicant, they may well want to know about your super funds as well. So basically, the fundamentals are the same. You're still going to need to supply all the documentation that you would have supplied for a conventional credit approval. However, 
the bridging period, let's say for the sake of argument, um, you've got the property with a small loan on it, you're buying a dearer property and you're needing to bridge and borrow uh, a large amount of money to pay for the property and all of the associated purchase costs. Most bridging loans will allow you to borrow all of that and that's referred to as the peak debt because that's the biggest the debt's going to become. That's the greatest amount the debt's going to be. Some lenders will require you to service that debt, meaning make the repayments often on an interest-only basis during the time that you're bridged. Um, But many banks will actually work out what the interest will be on the full bridging term, the nine or 12 month period, and they'll capitalize that and they'll put that on top of the loan so that during the bridging period, often depending on policy, depending on lender, often uh, clients won't need to make any repayment at all, but the interest will capitalize. And then at the end of the bridging period, if you haven't used all of that interest, they'll credit back to you what you haven't used um, or they'll reduce the loan. But then when finally the property that you're moving out of is sold, and that reduces the debt and the balance of any funds left over come back to you, that's when your loan reverts to its new uh, loan amount, its new, uh, its new funding position. And at that time, uh, that's the, the home, that becomes the home loan that you then have for the next however many years and that's the loan that you're servicing and paying off. So most lenders will service you, meaning check your borrowing power, based on the end debt, not the peak debt, most lenders will actually do their credit decision, even though you might not be able to afford the whole peak debt on paper, the lenders recognise you're not going to be left with the peak debt, you'll be left with the end debt, and that's what they're making their credit decision on, and that's why they still need all the usual information that you supply for a normal or more vanilla-style credit approval. You're demonstrating that you can service the peak debt when that time comes. Okay. It's not as bad as you think it's going to be. Is it? Look, you want to have the bridging loan as approved as it can be with all the nuances well and truly understood before you embark on the purchase. You want to have all the ducks lined up so that there are no surprises. Um, And it comes down to a bit of a ratio game. Um, The peak debt very often you don't want it to be, well, you don't want it to be higher than 80% of the combined assets value because you want to avoid needing a lender mortgage insurance approval and you want to avoid paying lender mortgage insurance on the peak debt because that's the cost you won't recoup. Um, But you want to basically uh, have the loan as approved as you can subject to valuation and other conditions and um, most lenders will be servicing you, as I say, on the end debt. And it's generally, though not in all cases, but in most cases, the overwhelming majority of cases, you're going to be paying a premium until your loan does step down and revert to the end debt. But um, some some lenders are so fussy, they won't take bridging clients on period if they're new to bank. Um, Some lenders are more open-minded, but some lenders won't take on a bridging loan if there's no end debt. So um, last time I checked, and I'm pretty sure I'm still right on this, but Adelaide Bank, if you're a downsizer and you just need to bridge for a little while while they're selling your $4 million home in queue yeah. and you're buying a $2 million apartment, you may well have no debt once it's all said yeah. and done. Then you probably won't get approved for Adelaide Bank. So there's ways around that, but it is a bit of a pain in the bank. And bridging lines are dramatically more complicated than a conventional principal interest 
80% LBR, loan-to-value ratio mortgage. So, yeah, do the homework, speak with the yeah. broker, spend the extra time, ask all the questions, and uh, ask to see their notes. We type up notes and files that go to lenders. We also do, uh, we're excellent at Excel. We do all sorts of spreadsheets and calculations to make sure that the numbers do work. But you want to be very across the numbers, and you want to know really to the set what your maximum spend is and what your maximum commitments are going to be. Well, you know, you did touch on my next question, but I'm going the other way. Now, hypothetically, you know, Stacey and Kobe have just um, won half a million dollars on Tats Lotto and paid off off their first home, but obviously need to Mm -hmm. refinance for, you know, the upgrade of the million-dollar property that they've bought and they want to do a $100,000 reno. But the settlements Mm -hmm. don't coincide. (sighs) You know, because there will be an end debt um, of, well, if they're probably going to be at the 50% ratio or maybe more. They might be actually sort of 75 in their favour and 25 for the bank. Um, will they qualify mm-hmm. for bridging finance or not? With some lenders, even though they're new to bank, they will. With some lenders, if they're new to bank, they won't. Yeah. Um, so it was a scenario that they will have an end debt, or they, they will, will have an end debt of, but it's probably about twenty five percent of the valuation of the property. In most cases, that would work yeah. with most lenders, and if they have a pre existing relationship with a major bank, that's generally where you wind up. So you generally wind up with a bridging loan with your own bank. Yeah. Um, but in the instance where a customer, and it does happen often, in the instance where a customer does not qualify for a bridging loan period with anyone and they still need to do that transition scenario, um, it's if, if they service, it's sometimes easy just to borrow uh, the full amount of the purchase price and all of the purchase costs as a second mortgage. And it could be cross-secured to the first asset in which in the same way that a bridging loan would be. Yeah. Or you could structure it in such a way that you don't cross the cure them. You could have a, a couple of different loans, one on the asset you're selling, one on the asset that you're buying, and you could treat one of the two properties as though it was going to be retained as an investment property. And that's very often a strategy that uh, gets used. So for a period of time, you own two properties. For a period of time, you've actually got a loan on each of the properties. Um, sometimes that's actually cheaper than taking out a bridging loan because you're still getting the discounts on the products and you're not actually paying the undiscounted rate. So sometimes it's actually advantageous to not take a bridging loan, have a second mortgage or a couple of extra mortgages and structure it that way, get a, a lower overall interest on the global borrowings. The advantage to doing that as well is you don't have to, according to a bridging contract, sell the property within the six, nine, 12 months period. So you might change your mind. You might decide to put a tenant in one of the properties. You might decide to uh, rent it out or you might decide to keep it for uh, a little while longer um, and go through another property cycle and maybe maybe try to make some more money on the property. So it is very, very possible to structure it as though one of the properties is an investment property and therefore... Uh, yeah, you don't have that uh, that deadline with the end debt that you've got to be out of the whole thing. So I, as a preference, if it suits the customer's needs, and of course that's the major consideration and category we have to suit the customer's needs, if it can be structured in such a way that a bridging loan's not used, we can get better interest rates and we can potentially borrow 
uh, with a home loan for one property, an investment property home loan for the other. If we can structure it that way, that usually is a less stressful or less costly way of doing it, um, particularly if, of course, the customers do not qualify for bridging yeah. in any event. Well, that's a good thing. You know, like knowing the different strategies is, is the key to financial freedom, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, I find that um, many bank salespeople or home loan managers, whatever they're called, bank by bank, many home loan managers um, have utilised bridging loans in the past where they have been necessary, but they've also utilised bridging loans in the past where they may not be as useful for the client simply because they're more costly. So a broker generally, and I'm, I'm not giving the banks too hard of a time yeah. here, but generally speaking, a good broker with many years of standing will be able to quickly identify what is most likely to be approved, uh, going to be most likely quicker and going to be also most likely cheaper. So you want to have all of those in the back of your mind when you're selecting your options. Mm. In some cases, a bridging loan has to be used. In some cases, a bridging loan doesn't have to be used. It comes down to the client's uh, ability to service the debt so their income streams and how they can be verified, yeah. and it also comes down to um, uh, what the pro- uh, what the client's plans are with the property, mm-hmm. and uh, what's the what's the likely time frame as well for getting out of an asset and getting into another mm-hmm. asset or yeah. doing renovation in our previous scenario. But the, the reality is, banks are for themselves; brokers are for you, the purchaser. <laughs> uh, I like to think so. Um, <laughs> legally. Legally, we can't say that. Uh, broker. <laughs> uh, well, we actually can these days, okay, and I'll tell you why. The the Royal Commission shone a pretty big light on the banking sector in general. It was highly critical of many aspects of uh, superannuation and general banking, and even kids' children's accounts, the old dolomite accounts. They don't exist anymore. Yeah. Um, but uh, the Royal Commission was overwhelmingly complimentary on the value proposition for a home loan for a mortgage broker. Uh, There were obviously uh, questions and concerns and uh, things that were not well understood about our remuneration, but it was fundamentally found that we we operated our clients' best interests and that was actually then legislated. A mortgage broker is legally compelled to only operate in his or her customer's best interests. And further to that, we have to demonstrate to any regulatory personal authority or any adjudicator that we have done so. So we have to demonstrate that we've acted uh, with their best interests at heart. Whereas a bank doesn't have that same legal responsibility. A bank legally has to represent itself Mm. and that means its business interests and that means uh, its profits and its shareholders. So uh, I would never say that a banker would only sell a more profitable product for a bank, but they aren't subject I would never say that because I'm certain that almost every human being alive will do the right thing and that extends to bankers, though they are my competition. Though I'm also certain that uh, a banker would take perhaps the easier path or the, the, the path they were trained on and that may not be the best and cheapest for a customer. Yeah. So I would say in all cases, you're better off dealing with the broker. And it does happen from time to time that I have clients, a recent example, elderly clients that I... Were, would, I would not be able to place them anywhere with a bridging loan that they needed. Uh, he had uh, a sick wife who had dementia. She wasn't working any longer. They were selling the very now expensive home, a valuable home, to a property developer. 
the property developer was um, buying it on a very long settlement. They wanted to buy an apartment, which was lower maintenance for them. And just by quirk of their situation, their age, their um, their individual situation, they, they weren't able to qualify with any of my mainstream lenders. And the only place that I could actually place them was with the second-tier lender or third-tier lender, which was actually going to be profoundly more expensive. Yeah. So I did the ethical thing. I simply said, I though I can help you, it will cost this. And I know that your business were it to be taken to the bank that you banked with, in this case, Westpac, for many, many years, I'm certain that they would approve you just on a, uh, just on a, a standard bridging product. Yeah. And the beauty of doing that is that you would then pay a whole bunch less money. You don't have the huge origination fees. So I was able to uh, help them quote that out and also with my quote demonstrate that they were better off not doing business with me. So a good broker legally will do that kind of, legally has to do that kind of stuff. And even with the legal side of things aside, I think a good broker would do that as a matter of course because what goes around comes around and helping people honestly uh, is its own reward. Yeah, so a good broker will do the right thing by their clients no matter what. Really. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, bridging, is, bridging is complicated yeah. and um, it's one of those things you have to look at from more than one angle and um, property prices and valuations on the a- a- asset that you're exiting uh, can drastically skew the figures where you might be eligible, ineligible, less eligible, or need to take a smaller loan. Yeah. So you have to go in with eyes wide open. Um, and the thought around, I want to buy a house, I'm in a house, or I'm in a property, I'm transitioning, um, the thought that it's automatically bridging application the bridging loan is i believe firmly obsolete a bridging loan is clearly an option though it is in no way the only the only option you have to consider we're going to talk about that when we come out back after the break so um, we're going to talk to evan davis where we talk about how the timing can be stressful and about bridging finance being declined so we'll be back after the break You're listening to Real Estate Right. We are talking to money expert Evan Davis from Money Cat Finance about bridging finance and why you may need it. So, Evan, if you do get knocked back for bridging finance, what are some of your alternatives? I know we talked a little bit about this over the break, but, you know, for people like Stacey and Kobe who obviously need to upgrade and need to get, you know, we, we're talking about a month of bridging finance here. Is that possible to get a month? Absolutely, yeah. The less time you are bridging, the yeah. better because you're not sitting on your peak debt. Yeah. I said before that uh, in many cases you'll refinance what you've got, in some cases you yeah. may not. Uh, but in addition to the finance you have, you do need the very often the entire purchase price of the asset that you're buying and very often the all of the costs as well. And in many cases, people borrow all of the interest. So that forms the largest amount the debt will be during the bridging period. Often lenders charge an undiscounted rate, not in all cases, but often lenders charge an undiscounted rate on the bridging loan while you're at your peak debt. So it stands to reason that if you're bridging only for a little while, that interest that you accrue will be less. So the less time you are bridging and the less time you are at your peak debt, the better off you're going to be. You're simply going to have a smaller 
uh, amount that you've got to service during the bridging period or if you're capitalising the interest you're paying, but then you've got a smaller amount of interest at the, the other end of the proposition. So, yeah, the, the less time the better, but, yes, banks will bridge you uh, for a maximum amount, not necessarily a minimum okay. amount of time. So the maximum amount is generally six months, nine months is the most common, or 12 months with yeah. some lenders. Though, um, yeah, if you only need to bridge for a day, more power yes. to you. And if you don't need to bridge at all because you're able to achieve a simultaneous settlement, yeah. even better. But if you need to bridge only for a month or two, um, your interest will be less on the peak debt. Okay. So if they did get declined on bridging finance, what other alternatives? Like We talked about the fact that you could keep both properties. Is there any other yeah. alternatives? Like well, talk- first things first, don't panic. <laughs> Second thing... Second thing, don't panic. Third thing, ring Evan Davis, Boss Cat, on 0413 That's you know 0413 Sorry? <laughs> you know people. You know people in high places and low places. I do The most common solution is what we flagged before. Yeah. Just treat the incoming property as an investment property and then keep the other one as your owner-occupier property or alternatively treat the one you're exiting as an investment property and the one that you're buying as your owner-occupier property, pending credit approval, pending serviceability, pending uh, pending all of the above. Uh, yep. Because if you do it, if you pitch that, if you pitch it that way, you no longer have to worry about meeting the entry standards to a bank that will only bridge for an existing customer. Yeah. You should, if your serviceability is there, uh, meet the entry standards to a bank along the basis of increased lending, but that's reliant on your income servicing it. If your income plus projected rental income on one of your assets is insufficient to have two properties, two lines, two assets and uh, as much borrowings as you need, that's when you don't have a choice. You need to have a bridging set up. But I would say you'd be you you know before you buy whether you're approved for bridging. If it becomes obvious you won't be approved for bridging, you'll also know or should know that you have the serviceability to use that alternate strategy. So I've got two very successful clients at the moment that are getting out of a fabulous house in Sassafras into a fabulous house in Kew. Um, because they're, they're very well set up in their business, they've got amazing assets and income, it works that they're able to buy and hold both assets along a conventional basis, which is one as their home, one as an investment property, and they don't need bridging. So that's the best way of doing it. It gives them the choice of keeping one long-term as an investment property, but it also gives them greater than a bridging period to get it done, and it also keeps their lending at substantially discounted variable rate lending, both investment and owner-occupier lending, and it completely deletes the need to uh, meet a bridging commitment where they're at at a certain asset at a certain time. Yeah. Now, going back to Stacey and Kobe, mm-hmm. will their impending baby be concerned for their the banks or the application to get um, bridging finance? Or is the impending baby not considered a dependent yet? Um, would they need to Interesting be- question. Um, we love babies and money, Kat. We adore children, but the banks don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> the banks, the lenders don't. So if you have a baby, the lenders will reduce your borrowing power because they do recognise that children are expensive, or so I'm reliably told. But if, if we're impending also- rather than already available or like already here and live waiting to happen it does from time to time happen 
that uh, applicants don't disclose they're about to have a child. And it does from time to time happen, particularly on Zoom, that brokers don't notice that people are pregnant or people are expecting children. It does happen. Mistakes do get made. But look, you are meant to disclose a change in your financial circumstances. So if you are planning, uh, not if you're planning a baby, but if you are, well, I'm probably a buff. (laughs) If you're a buff and you know there's, there's one that's coming and you know that you're going to be uh, in a joyous family situation, you are obliged, according to uh, the uh, application you make, to disclose that. Okay. So, yeah, there is in every application form I've ever seen a question, do you expect your financial situation to change in a meaningful way style question? And uh, the lenders do take a dim view of people fudging these declarations and the lenders do take a dim view of people not declaring debts or children or whatever it is. So it's far better to go in with full disclosure and talk about strategies as to how to maximise your borrowing power with your broker because it could be that you could actually close a credit card or drop a credit card or you might be able to pay off a small remaining hex debt or help debt. So there's lots of ways that a sharp broker can help you legitimately maximise your borrowing power without telling any little white lies. And if, for argument's sake, you did have a bun in the oven, and if, for argument's sake, you didn't declare it, um, a particularly zealous or mean-spirited credit officer could use that against you and could decline your application. And you don't want that happening if they're the only bank that will lend in your area postcode or they're the only bank that will give you the money. You want to get it right. So, yeah, a baby on the way is definitely something that you want to talk to your broker about. So share the love, share the joy, spread the good word. Some, something beautiful is about to happen into your life. Um, but don't automatically assume it's going to preclude you from finance. Um, you, might, you might be taking maternity leave. You might not or paternity leave or might not. Um, or you might uh, be able to service a loan on your um Maternity, paternity benefits. There's many, many ways to skin the proverbial cat. Yes. Though it could prejudice your application if you leave off a baby that's definitely coming. So, uh, yeah, talk to your broker and work out your strategy. And part of that strategy could well just be sharpening the pencil and removing other debts, or sharpening the pencil and going to a lender that might offer a bigger loan size. There are plenty of lenders out there that price differently or have different policy and simply lend you a bigger amount. So there are options. Yeah. See, like when I had my babies, my boys came to the copywriting jobs when they were five days and three days old. There was no maternity leave and I was working and they... There are plenty of people that work all the way through and there are plenty of people that work, women that work straight after as well. Yeah. Everyone's situation is unique. Oh, it is. I was actually typing out copy in the hospital bed that afternoon when oh, I... my goodness. When my See, I always knew was... you were a hard worker, but oh, I had yeah. no idea that you had a laptop on your belly and you were typing out people's advertisements. My goodness, you're a clever person. I did these things. I don't know why, but anyway, these things happen. Now... Any other great tips to ensure we're not paying too much in bridging finance or do you reckon we're... Absolutely. Oh, you've got... Talk to your bank. 
If you go into your bank, talk to your bank and get their quote. Get their quote in writing. Yeah. And then come and see Money Cat or your broker, but ideally Money Cat. So what we do is we are bank slayers. We're Robin Hood in the mortgage market. What we like to do is rob from the bank to get you a better deal. Yeah. There are There's always more than one funder. And it's always, there's always going to be the case that uh, a good broker can basically screw the banks down and uh, get them competing for your business. So just because one bank's at standard variable rate doesn't mean they all are. Yeah. Uh, just because you may or may not qualify one lender doesn't mean that they're all going to be the same. Mm-hmm. It's very sensible to get a broker to check all options, list all the people that will do bridging, uh, all the institutions that will do bridging, go to the best and cheapest, uh, assuming you meet their policy. And then also check the viability to see if you can actually pitch it a different way. Can you pitch it along the lines that I suggested before? Are you simply able to borrow enough to buy the property and keep the lending that you've got? Because that will almost in all instances get you a far lower interest rate across the whole global borrowings. You might even be able to borrow a little bit of extra as a buffer to help pay the repayments in the meantime, depending on how much equity you've got in the assets. I think uh, uh, our borrowers before Stacey and Kobe had one lottery. So with a half million dollars and no lending on their exiting asset, uh, I would wager that they would probably qualify well just on a loan-to-value ratio basis on the incoming assets. So we'd be able to price well it's even possible that you might use a separate lending institution for each of the applications. You might refinance the property you've got with one lender to get a great rate, maybe even a cash rebate, and you might well be able to set the lending up on the incoming asset with another lender. You might be able to get a better interest rate on each asset by splitting your business and putting it between two different institutions. Uh, the, the breadth and complexity and diversity of people never ceases to amaze me. Yeah. No two applications are ever the same. No two clients are ever the same. So if you come to a broker, you get experience. You just don't get the latest salesperson in the bank. If you come to a broker, you get uh, the experience as well that extends to product knowledge and pricing knowledge across multiple institutions. We've also got the technology that can easily, easily uh, try to screw the banks down and try to get rates. Um, you also get someone that legally has to work in your best interests, which means not just price, not just policy, but we have to prove legally we're doing the absolute best, whereas a bank does not. So these are all great ways of minimising cost on bridging because the bigger the amount of money you borrow, the greater the loan, the higher the, uh, the higher the interest is going to be across the portfolio. So it's our job and your job as a customer, as a borrower, to make sure that you simply don't pay the Australian lending institutions too much money. They're rich enough. Yes, they are. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Evan. You've given us some great tips about bridging finance to get people over the line. Now, how can listeners get in touch with you if they want to apply for a new home loan? Oh, yeah, yes, yeah. So my name again is Evan Davis. I'm the CEO at Money Cat Finance. Think about the little cute cats that wave and shop counters. I am known as the CEO, the boss cat or the big cat here, and you can contact me on the mobile 0413 467246. That's 0413 467246. Emails evan at moneycat.com.au. And our office uh, with all of the other big cats is 338 Chapel Street, Paran. We're also located in Moorabbin. 
though uh, most of our meetings are done on Zoom. We provide a cost and obligation free mortgage broking service. I will talk to anyone at any stage, night or day, even if you're in the very, very early stages of making a mortgage decision, that's the best time to talk to me. As I say, it's all cost and obligation free. Uh, me and all the other big cats here would love to speak to you. Thank you so much, Evan. Um, and again, it's been great having you on. So next week, we have the brilliant Jim Mel Martinez from A-Game Property Advisory, where he will talk to us about buying an appropriate site for redevelopment. If you're keen on getting into the property development game, then this is the episode for you, so don't miss it. Real Estate Right is produced by Real Copyright, one of Melbourne's leading real estate copywriting companies, and is written, hosted, and produced by me, Sue Langada, with the support of my production and social media assistant, Lisa Fisher. All information given on this podcast is a guide only and delivered to help you understand the intricacies that can happen in real estate. We recommend that you get professional advice that is designed for your own personal circumstances. We would like to thank Podbean for hosting this podcast, Premium Beat for their music, Francis Morello for his voiceover, and Zoom for the recording. If you have a real estate story that is inspiring or a great how-to tip, please contact Lisa on 5977-889 to find out how you can be a guest on Real Estate Right in 2022. If you would like to know more about our copywriting services, please email Lisa at orders at realcopyright.com.au. Thank you for listening to Real Estate Right. It's where buyers, sellers, renters and investors get their real estate right.